Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for downloading. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm here with Megan Strand. Hey there. And Dane Christensen. Hello. And we are the Naked Marketers, and uh, we've got a great show coming at you today. We've got a great interview. We have a fabulous interview with Brian Dominguez, um, who is uh, does not like to be called the king of product management and brand management, but is aspiring royalty to uh, to uh, brand management and product development. So uh, he's got lots of interesting things to say about being a big company and trying to stay nimble. And um, so it's great. It's a great interview. And don't forget, living in the dirty, dirty. Living in the dirty, living dirty. Living in the dirty, dirty. I love that so much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's a it is a great uh, it's a great interview coming up. So make sure to hang out, uh, listen all the way to the very bitter end. Uh, for the uh, interview with Brian uh, Dominguez. Uh, and uh, other than that, anything else uh, going on this week, guys, that uh, that really uh, hit you over the head? ton of bricks kind of stuff. Uh, any great big news that you need to share? Cricket. Really? Cricket. Really? <laughs> Wait a minute. You're, you're, spo- you're supposed to be the one with the big news that's hit you over the head. Yeah, you you threw me off. I got nothing. All right. Well, I have some news. <laughs> it's, it's snowing in Salt Lake. The it's new- April 29th, and it's snowing in Salt oh, Lake. Oh, that is big news. Yeah, welcome to Hoth. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the big news we have this week is that we, well, it's not actually uh, great big news. We talked about iAds last week uh, or the week before. Uh, the prices are, are coming out. Uh, the uh, Wall Street Journal has an uh, article um, this week about uh, uh, exactly what Apple will be charging for iAds, and I I think this is interesting. Uh, the uh, The article says that uh, uh, they're going to be charging potentially as much as uh, ten million uh, just to just to buy into the program. Uh, that is insane. It is insane, especially when again, as the article continues, they're used to paying between a hundred and two hundred grand just to get into the mobile space, and I think that really reflects what is going on in the mobile space right now. That that ads. Uh, I, the the ad platforms, uh, well, it seems a no brainer for for Apple to jump in and try to take a piece of this uh, of this uh, this platform revenue. Uh, you know, it makes makes a ton of sense. They uh, it looks like they're going to charge as much as um, uh, let's see uh, from the article. Apple's planning to charge advertisers a penny each time the consumer sees a banner ad. Uh, and when the user actually taps, they could uh, Apple will charge uh, uh, up to two bucks. Uh, oh. So it's it, it's a uh, that could be a very expensive uh, and rich uh, way to get your message out there. Here's what I don't like about that: you are just slamming the door to to any company that is not ha, does not have hugely deep pockets. I don't think you are. Happen. I don't think you, you don't are. think so. No, I don't. I, what because does that the, mean? the the market is going to will out in this case. There will be advertisers that go with iAd that have the money to go with iAd. There right. will be marketers that go with advertisers that go with whatever Google's uh, Google, you know, right. Google goes with there. There is always going to be an ad platform for whatever you have to spend. I just yeah, believe true. that. Yeah, and I agree. You, you may not. I mean, if you have the money to put $10 million into an ad campaign on iAd, then you have to have the money to develop an application, an ad app right. that is rich in experience and have That's the developers. I mean, you you got to be able to pay for a lot to That's get into point. this. And, and um, if you want, there is always going to be text ads. That's all I'm saying. What's a Super Bowl ad going for now these days? I don't need do, uh, do people still watch the Super Bowl? No. Well, ow, they get, they get previews of the commercials. <laughs> They're you know, still I, expensive. They are still expensive. What uh, What are they? A million, run? million bucks, 15 seconds. For 15 seconds? Right? Yeah. That's are you making was, that up? He might be, but it sounds about right. Oh. I make a lot of things up. <laughs> uh, what's interesting to me about that, Pete, kind of, I guess on one level, is that um, you know for years, for years, the talk has been that the future of advertising is in, is in mobile. I mean, I heard that. I, I've heard people say that uh, for years. <laughs> for, yeah. like, like I don't know, six years ago. Mo- I guess. Most of your life. Yeah. yeah. Since I was a kid. Um, no. Since I was a young boy. But I also hear people. Today, even you know, amidst this announcement here, uh, say, "Gosh, we haven't figured it out yet. We still really haven't figured out how to make mobile advertising really, you know, what we think it should be." And I think everyone has this concept that it's the future because everybody's carrying a mobile device, and and we ought to be able to reach them, you know. But I don't hear anybody saying, "Wow, that has been the answer to all of our advertising, you know, questions. Um, it, the future is now." Yeah, I don't. I don't hear any companies. I guess say that 
yes, our most successful advertising initiative this year was mobile. Yeah, well, and I, I have, I actually have the answer, uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and lay it <laughs> down on you right now. And I think it's something we've talked about before, which is the, uh, which is the app economy, right? If the application development economy did not exist, there would be no future for the online ad space. I because I don't believe there is not going to be a time where I, I don't know. Okay. Maybe there will be a time when somebody d tries to do this, but it's stupid, where you turn on your phone and the first thing you get is, you know, a third party ad. I mean, that that d is is it doesn't exist. What what happens is you have apps that exist on these mobile devices that allow you to integrate ads into the apps. That's what people are going to be seeing. They're not going to be turning on their phone and have to sit through a 15 second commercial in order to dial. Right. Right. And so that's why this this is never it hasn't worked in the past and why it's such a nascent market, because we you have to have the eyeballs in place in the in the you know application economy in order to make driving advertising work. So there are all sorts of ad uh, federated ad networks now. They're just going to get more popular, more powerful and bigger, um, you know, as development uh, you know, continues. No, to, I, I think to that is the answer. I, I think it just is interesting that for so long it's been the future is mobile, but I, I really don't think people have had a very clear vision. I think that's prob. I think you're right. I think that's the clearest vision we've had yet about yeah. what it means. I yeah. think you're absolutely right. And for the record, it's about uh, two point eight to three million for a thirty second spot on. Yeah. Uh, so. Cool. so I wasn't that far off. No, no, you weren't. No, you did. So, you did good. You did so let's good. take it from from huge ten million dollar app ads to small Dane, yeah. with Facebook what they're doing what they were rumored from, to have done this from week. big to small Pete to Dane again okay uh, <laughs> yeah well here's, here's oh my gosh you just completely just fabricated that all by yourself <laughs> what of course I did <laughs> not not completely fabricated <laughs> <laughs> wow okay. all right Facebook I'm jump right into it here uh, this is interesting Facebook um is uh, making more uh, ventures, I guess, into into local. Uh, so, uh, anybody who's dealing with a lot of sort of medium to small size local businesses, uh, this has been there's been a, a lot of activity and continues to be in how to localize uh, your search results and your presence on you know things like Yelp and um, obviously Google Maps and and a lot of companies, of course. Uh, no matter how large or small and in, and in whatever industry have uh, Facebook fan pages. So uh, the play Facebook is, is making here um, is very similar to uh, Google's favorite places where you've got a decal now that you can put on your window and your storefront. Um, this one says, you know, like us on Facebook uh, and has the uh, like facebook.com slash whatever your, your um, fan page URL is. One of the interesting features though um, Here's where this is uh, sort of takes the same route, but is a little different than Google's favorite places. Uh, Google's favorite places decal had a little code that you could sort of, if you had the right kind of smartphone, scan uh, and 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 get information uh, or sort of link up with that with that place. And it seemed like a really cool kind of a tool or you know interaction, but but admittedly with a very small segment of the population who are very early adopters. And, and of course, you know, that's kind of the target for some of this stuff anyways. What uh, Facebook is doing, though, is giving you um, uh, a, a number to text to. So a couple of advantages here. One, it opens it up to a much larger population. Uh, so it's the SMS uh, numbers uh, to like us uh, on Facebook, text, um, you know, like, whatever the business is to this phone number. So, you know, it gets, it gets, it grabs people in a different place to help them, you know, to connect to your business and then be, you know, in front of say ads or uh, promotions or whatever you're using your, your fan page for. But the other is to create that link for, for Facebook between your, your mobile device or your, your, your phone and, um, uh, and Facebook. So uh, I guess it helps the, both the business and Facebook in general. I think it's great. I what do you, it, it's it's the Yelp approach, right? Mm -hmm. I and I'm a huge fan of of Yelp, uh, and have found lots of wonderful restaurants on Yelp, and really you know count on Yelp for that community review uh, that that helps you that helps me kind of figure out the great new places to try. And I I think having this kind of hyper local approach for Facebook is terrific. I think it's hey, interesting. And quick question for you: When it comes to finding great restaurants in Portland, what what do you prefer, Yelp or Urban Spoon? I stick to Yelp. Me too. Do you? Yeah. Okay. 
that, that, that's kind of community by community though isn't it do you do you think like um some communities are really great yelp users and some aren't i mean and there yeah. are some places where you can really depend on the yelp reviews and others where it's it's either maybe they're using nothing i don't know or <laughs> you know i don't know i think urban spoon in salt lake is, is a little more active than yelp for restaurants yeah well and that's the other thing i mean urban spoon just just does food right i mean that yes. yelp does all sorts of other stuff yes um, correct Anyway, I, I think it's a great, I think moving to this sort of hyper-local kind of approach is what makes these things interesting, right? It's, if, if, if that sticker is on the door, then I know that this, this business is active, has an uh -huh. active online community because yep. they wouldn't put yep. it up if they didn't know what it was. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that means point. I'm going to be able to extend my, online, my offline experience into my online experience, and I have an expectation that it will be rich as a result. Like I'll That's be able to get more point. from it. Uh, That's a great point. And Pete, speaking of hyper local and and you know how how it's in most cases really great that uh, businesses are are heading there and and users are able to find that information uh, and places like or or you know software like uh, Facebook is able to facilitate it. But sometimes it goes a little too far, wouldn't you say? Yeah. No. And I I think are you uh, are I'm, you are I'm you introducing a segue? You. I'm segueing. Yeah. That was. I've nice job, Dave. That You're was welcome. that was really artfully done. Uh, uh -huh. And speaking of segues, <laughs> did you see that was a meta segue. I actually uh -huh. segued out of a segue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the uh, New York Times has a has a, an article or has an article um, uh, on uh, the being the mayor of creepy possibilities, and it's <laughs> it's all about you know when when users broadcast their uh, broadcast their whereabouts through tools like Foursquare. You know what are they giving you the what are they giving marketers the ability to leverage and it's this is one of those uh, talking out of both sides of my uh, m mouth discussions because <laughs> on one hand you're absolutely right and from the article uh, uh, you know if you check into work and then you leave work and then you check into a bank and then you check into a store it's a behavior that in aggregate we might be able to use to transform the way we market to you in the offline world. Uh, we might see day parts that are more likely for you to check out of some place and go to a store. We might do advertising specific uh, uh, to that specific day part in that specific place. Well, that's that hyperlocal leverage that you get when when you are tracking users at that level of detail in their lives, that sort of right. granularity. Uh, but this is the part that actually makes me nervous. Because consumers are electing to broadcast their location and signing up for these services, privacy concerns aren't enormous. Another plus for marketers. Which is true. It is a plus for marketers. I'm not going to ignore that. But just because consumers are signing up for these services, does that make it okay? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. I think you should just let that one sit there. That's a good question. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it just... It's yeah, the one that it. just nags on nags on me. I, 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 uh, I you know, I, there's so much I, I want to be able to do. I, I want to be able to have this hyperlocal data. I want to be able to know what my customers are doing in order to be able to offer them, you know, other things that may be relevant at that time and space in their lives. At the same time, I don't believe that consumers, even though they install applications like Foursquare, are aware of the implicit, you know, concerns that giving up this kind of data means. I think there are privacy concerns. It's not the privacy concern that this article outlines. It's a different one. And it's a much bigger one. You know, and I, I, I also wonder if at some point it's going to be, because I, and maybe they already have this and I'm just naive, but there's got to be Foursquare fatigue. Like, I did Foursquare for a couple of weeks and I was like, you know, I'm tired of this. Like, I was I your only friend. I went. Well, so what? Like, <laughs> but see, and that's I, why it goes back friends. to. But see, here's the thing. Like, are, do they have an app now where you can just turn it on and it just tracks you wherever you go with your phone? I mean, just kind of. If yeah. you're at a location, it checks you in just automatically. Do they have that? Uh, you know, I don't know if, if you can sort of turn that on. It's going to be four square fatigue as far as I'm But concerned. see, that's why services the way like Yelp has done it. When you when you go in and choose to check in, you'll see the coupons from the stores around you. And I think that's the same thing with Foursquare and Gowalla. You know, that's the direction things are going. When you choose to check in, if you choose to check in, you'll be able to see a menu of stores that, that are around you that may offer discounts or, or something yeah. like that. And so that's, you know, there's, there's something to that. But to be able to analyze day parts about when I'm checking in or out of my work, Right. Uh, and into the dry cleaner, you know. 
and people will do it. Hopefully your boss isn't on Foursquare. Yeah, that's right. You know, the the privacy question is always relevant, and Mm -hmm. it's always important, but I I think it's always also going to be overblown at some point that, uh, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of over-concern when we have uncertainty. Um, I also think it's kind of, well, I think it's really fascinating, actually, the way our perception of privacy seems to be evolving pretty rapidly. And, you know, what does privacy mean and what's shareable and what's not and what are we comfortable with? And uh, I think a great deal of the population today is much more comfortable being public about things that uh, would have not really been that a lot of people would not have been comfortable with 10, 20 years ago. Right. It's that whole living out loud experience. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's very true. But it's still it's still a, um, you know, a, a, a small part of the population. It's the same size of the population that's, you know, not yet using a smartphone, Dane. <laughs> Do you know anything about that? No, because uh, I have a high, uh, yeah, no. How's your, are... how's your razor? Stay oh tuned. no, I don't have anything that advanced. Snap. I have an itch. <laughs> I don't How's know what flip my phone is. Uh, yeah, flips. Well, um, speaking so, of yeah. speaking of following, here's another segue for you. Um, LinkedIn just announced, I think just last night, that um, that's they are how now, cutting edge we are, by the way. Last that's night. Right. That's right. Yeah. They, LinkedIn has just announced that you, a new feature there you can follow a company. Um, so it's not a status update like Twitter. Um, but essentially you're going to be receiving status updates from companies. So, um, you know, who their recent hires and promotions are, what new job, job opportunities may be, um, and when they change things on their company. So, um, this is an interesting little, you know, I, I, I like LinkedIn because it's a nice, it's a nice mesh between like this sort of hip social media tool and the real, I don't. I don't even know what it what it's well, a mesh of. But like you know, this is this huge professional community. Like there's a lot yeah. of people who are comfortable with LinkedIn and are not comfortable with Twitter. Well, and so I, LinkedIn I, is a nice mesh between. You know, I agree. I agree. And I think one of the things you know, if you if you as I do, uh, help you know companies um, with internet marketing and and social media and and help them to kind of come along. One of the things that I feel with Facebook is that in in most cases you're sort of um, helping them in some, you know, maybe to feel comfortable that Facebook does have relevance for their business. And then you're help, you know, having to sort of force, um, their message a little bit into that space to say, okay, you know, you're probably not used to, um, interacting with your, with your customer this way, but you know, or maybe you thought of Facebook as a very personal place to share, you know, what you're doing, but, um, but no, it has, it has professional relevance. You know, it's, it's a great branding tool for businesses, which it is, uh, um, but LinkedIn, you're right. I think it has it's an easier um, uh, acceptance, I guess, for for businesses. Um, and I it still looks pretty corporate, you know, and that makes people feel comfortable. <laughs> well, and this, but this yeah. is so interesting, especially for larger businesses, that the updates are about you know new hires or um, position availability. Uh, one of the things that I have talked to businesses about, I mean, I think that LinkedIn. Um, is important even for smaller businesses um, to have a presence on, partly because it's great for search results. And, and one of the things that I've told uh, businesses in the past is uh, it's a good idea uh, not only to have your business, you know, uh, have a presence on LinkedIn, you know, that you've sort of registered your company and, ha- and it has a profile, but I would ask, you know, uh, as many of your employees as possible should really have also a profile linking to your company's uh, website. Where you know where it's got the opportunity for my company and a hyperlink, um, and uh, it, so that you know you, you've got even a larger presence than than just I guess your your well, profile, and this takes that to another level. I think it's exactly. A good thing. Well, and that's a good point because you can LinkedIn is smart enough to know that when you're look, you're mostly going to be looking at people's profile, so you can follow their company through that person's profile. I mean, you can yeah. go to the company profile page and follow it there. Or you can say, oh, look, Dane Christensen is with Strike 10 Media. I'm going to follow Strike 10 because I'm looking at Dane's page. So, so yeah. Well, I, I think it's good. I think it's good for, for, you know, I don't know. If you're in my position, and again, trying to help companies along with, uh, you know, their their um, their place, I guess, in, in social media and, and um, internet marketing, this is, a good, this is a good tool and a, a, one that I think is going to make a lot of sense for most businesses. Can I say something else about LinkedIn? Yeah. And I want your opinion on this. I actually had a woman... Um, ask me how to unfollow me on LinkedIn, <laughs> unlink to me on LinkedIn, because she didn't like that 
my Twitter status feed was updating my LinkedIn because I just had it automatically linked, mm -hmm. and it well, was essentially clogging her status updates because it was just all my Twitter updates. Well, how so, often does she get status updates? Well, you know, you get that, you get that, like, um, anytime you click on your page, you can see your friend's status updates, and it was apparently just me with my Twitter feed. So what I actually did was that's gonna hurt it. your feelings. Well, but you know, I think it hurt my feelings a little bit. I don't know her all that well, but it hurt my feelings a little bit. I told her how to unfollow me if she wanted, um, but I did unlink it because I thought, you know, I think uh, there's something did to be said for, well, oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm right saying, with you on that. I think there's something to be said for, you know, if you're not on Twitter, like a lot of the Twitter vernacular, if you will, is just kind of, you're like, what the hell does RT mean? What is, you know, yeah. at mean? Like, what is all that? And I think it can, I think it can be annoying. So I unlinked it and then I only, through Hootsuite, I'll post things to LinkedIn maybe once or twice a day versus, you know. And isn't the, isn't, isn't the default option when you, um, when you go through LinkedIn to connect it to Twitter, the default option is that the only status updates that show up on LinkedIn are the ones where you use the at or the pound sign. Uh, if right? you do, if no. you do pound in through, oh. from Twitter, it'll link to LinkedIn, but you can also set it. Yeah. So that is the default, but you can also set it so that it just takes everything. everything. Yeah. Is yeah. Updated. So, but through Hootsuite, now I see all my little things and I can choose if I want to do Twitter, Facebook, uh, naked marketers, like I, all my Twitter accounts, I can, do one tweet and I can hit a bunch of different places. So, but anything, anyway, right. I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Almost as interesting as our interview today. Let it sink in. That was another segue. I another am. segue. How? Wow. We're don't so, you think, don't you think it's time to, uh, we, should, so we should, we should, we should. <laughs> <laughs> Let's work I'll pay on that. you a dollar. That's okay. And back at pay you. each other. Uh, the, uh, the interview today is uh, coming right up. We've got Brian Dominguez coming on, uh, joining us right uh, momentarily. So stay tuned because we are going to uh, bring the smart. <laughs> Yay. Today we are excited to be joined by Brian Dominguez, who I personally like to think of as the king of branding and product management. He has been with a variety of companies in a broad spectrum of industries from anything from banking to consumer products to his current position uh, in the AT&T mobility community. So Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, and thanks for setting the bar so low as the king of branding. I was that was going to be my first question. How does it feel to be considered by Megan Strand the king of branding and product management? That's that's quite a that's that's quite a uh, laudable <laughs> laudable uh, well, well, achievement. One of the things that I think is uh, is uh, paramount to branding and marketing is setting customer expectations. So uh, I think it's kind of failed on that. Um, flat, it's very flattering. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm certainly passionate about branding and product management, and, and all my roles have been related to that. But uh, we may need to throttle back to the kingdom. <laughs> how, about, how about the prince? We, are you comfortable being the prince? One of the princes, uh, prince, prince of promo. I, I'd like to, I'd like to refer to it as aspiring royalty. Aspiring okay. royalty. All right. So we have, yeah, aspiring royalty, Brian. Okay. So. Um, I, I wonder if you could just start off uh, just telling us what a little bit about what you're you're working on at 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 and T Mobility and just what your role, um, what your role is as aspiring royalty there. Yeah, so I'm in the wireless group at AT and T, um, and I think I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in you know, one of the top two coolest places to work. I, I think within the company, we have a lot of work going on with emerging devices, which is what gets a lot of um, publicity and consumers are fired up about the next thing that's launching. And I work in what's fundamentally apps. So um, that that's something we've been in, um, a leader in for several years. Uh, we've got um, quite a bit of momentum with the, the Apple launch uh, a couple of years ago, but uh, it boils down to I'm in a premium content group, which is vending apps. I've got a, a core focus on um, music. So I work directly with many of the music partners that um, deliver streaming radio or full track songs on devices. And I also have a role in managing our storefront. So when a user fires up a device and they're looking to purchase some of this fundamentally cool content, they're going to primarily access it through a store, um, whether it's a AT&T app center or one of our, our partner stores, um, you got to buy the content somewhere. So I, I work in primarily those two roles. Well, that is exciting. That's great. So, so you had some uh, s some role in the SiriusXM app somehow, somewhere. No, like do you yes. do you? Um, so you you work yes. with like the third party who's creating the app and just 
facilitate getting it in, getting it in, in use. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So um, XM was one of the, the first um, apps that we put as part of this kind of best-in-class suite. So in 2006, we launched Singular Music at the time, AT&T Music Now, so a user could access this best-in-class suite of apps um, underneath a, a Blue Note on their device. Um, XM was one of those best-in-class services, so the role that I had there was working the, the business development aspect, so the mechanics behind how revenue is shared and how pricing is set, uh, and then with a third party, exactly right, so many of the apps that you, you probably know bring content to the table, and then they work with another party to package that up into a, a build or a binary or the actual app that goes on the device. And then because um, that app was preloaded on phones or there before you had to download it, essentially, uh, we took a more active role in shaping um, that experience. So we want to ensure the best possible experience we can for our customers, the things that are within our control. So that meant in those cases, um, you know, looking at the user interface, so how the content is served up to a customer and, um, and a limited role in stations that are selected, things like that. Um, because we have, in other parts of our group, uh, some expertise in programming and uh, record label relationships. So you know, we wanted to tweak that, bring what we had to the table as well as what um, Sirius XM is bringing to the table. But it's been a you know, good product, good service, and uh, customers dig it. So I, I might be way off with this question, but <clears throat> I have this picture in my head that if you're dealing with um, like record labels and you know content uh, ownership when you're dealing with music, that there there's there's some people in the group somewhere that have very unrealistic expectations of revenue with these apps. Am, am I am I way off base with that? Does that come up very often in what you're dealing with? I mean, the answer is maybe. Which side of the equation do you mean? <laughs> I, I mean, like, record labels, um, to me, kind of have a reputation of getting into new technology with um, the idea that there'll be tons of revenue and and uh, uh, and that they want to control pricing um, where, you know, the consumer might have a different um, perspective on what the price should be. Yeah, well, I think there's, there's little doubt that the, the consumer is um, pushing prices down. I mean, there's a an expectation that things are free um, more often than not, and that's, you know, a whole series of dynamics have contributed to that. The, the record labels in particular, my experience with them, and, you know, their, their other perspectives, of course, are very realistic. So the, we are setting um, realistic joint targets within some constraints. So they're definitely negotiation on individual price points, but at the end of the day, we have joint targets, and, and I think they're you know, w within within reason, in ballpark. Now, I will say there are um, parties that we deal with that have wildly unrealistic expectations, <clears throat> and largely, uh, my experience has been um, newer partners. So, music space and app space uh, are it's um, it's highly energetic, it's very dynamic, it moves very quickly. Information is not readily available, and a lot of money is being thrown at it. So in smaller startup firms, um, I think they may have a great story, access to venture capital, and ridiculous business plans that put very high numbers associated with. So that's why I was kind of asked which side of the equation. Right. Partners. Okay. Can we you talk a little? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say we definitely get pitches that um, the math just doesn't add up. Interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about um, just that? the thing you just sort of touched on a little bit, this, this startup um, community that has blossomed around things like apps and, and, and music. And I mean, can you talk a little bit about how that's changed what you do? I mean, you work for a huge company and you know, how do you, how do you address that? And you you know, you're talking a little bit about unrealistic expectations and um, how do you deal with that? Is it just an annoyance? Are they, you know, a real threat? I mean, how do you how do you see them and how do you deal with that? No, I can't talk about that. <laughs> I mean, it it sounds like Brian that yeah, you, you, I, I, part of your approach I, is I, dealing I, with data. I can't talk about it. I'm just um, having a little fun. So the the rule <laughs> has changed because the the landscape has changed, and and I think the you know the, the position we've taken has um, shifted with that um, and we just listen to consumers so you know how we interact with the startups are you know what our consumers want i believe and and the several years ago i think that meant partnering with what we believe were best in class experiences 
for playing music, shopping for music, discovering music. And that's what you saw when you came to the, the, the products that I work with, the best that we could find. So as the startup community and um, continues to you know, rage, which is great, more innovation, more choices, um, you know, the challenge for um, our group, I think, has been um, creating a process to deliver that to consumers in a way that's as simple as possible because too, too much choice really get, gets sort of confusing um, and, uh, and, and benefits all the parties involved. You know, choice for consumers, uh, ability to extract value for the content partners or the venture capitalists, and uh, for AT&T leveraging the assets that we have. Um, so getting straight to the answer that I, I think is your question, what that means for the position that we've taken is much more open. <clears throat> so putting things in place today that are the, the backbone for all of the apps and titles and things to just come in, let consumers voice what's, what's good and what's not. We will put, to, put in place things like <clears throat> technology guidelines to protect our consumers um, so that malware or odd things don't wreck their experience. Um, industry-wide content policy guidelines. Um, it, as funny as it was that uh, I was testing a, um, uh, let's say, pornographic radio app that my wife didn't think was very funny. We do have content <laughs> policy guidelines to try to make sure that those things are, are met industry-wide. But the role that I think we're evolving to is bring it on. We're going to facilitate that um, and, uh, and let the consumers decide. So one other thing that I'd add <clears throat> is... We do have, um, you know, part of the role that I play is entertaining pitches. And these pitches come from all over the place, um, good ideas, good referrals, executive um, introductions, things like that. And I really enjoy that. They're just really innovative things that are coming to us that, that we evaluate. Um, we may uh, get behind. We may white label it. We may fill it, uh, fill a gap in one of our existing product sets. So, I mean, that stuff's just cool. It's knowing what's on the pulse, it's, um, it, and it's, it's trying to trying to deliver that for our customers. Because, of course, we have our own set of products that we are, we're very proud of, um, and, and that's all part of the competition we set up amongst ourselves. We want to bring those choices to make ourselves better and ultimately benefit customers. And, yes, I'm, data I'm, is definitely part of it. I'm extremely jealous all of a sudden. <laughs> that's, that just really sounds like a cool place to be in this universe right now. Can, uh, Brian, well, you know, definitely not, not without its challenges. I mean, we are, we are um, you know, we are a big dog, um, so that's easy to take pot shots at. Um, it has different uh, protection guidelines, which limits the speed that we can react in, in, sometime, in some cases, but we're definitely watching it. And to the, the comment of a, a beta environment, we do have, uh, we do have formal betas. Um, where providers can submit apps that uh, you know they want to test with our with our consumers, and we, we welcome that. And then we have the the, uh, the internal tests where just stuff comes to us all the time, and we, we check it out and um, and work with partners to, to try and deliver it. I'm I'm curious, and I, I hate to jump ahead of you, Pete. But I'm sorry. Yeah, I yeah whatever. A minute ago. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I hate to do it, but I. But you will. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm curious, Brian, if there's a part of the country that um, predominantly these these pitches are coming from. I mean, is there are you able to sort of get a pulse on where the app uh, development community is is the strongest? I'm really tempted to use the word Hotlanta, but I think we've covered the dirty, 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 dirty. There's a campaign to ban um, Hotlanta. Um, so yeah, I mean they do. They do come from a couple um, hotbeds of development. I don't think this would be um, too too unexpected, but we see Bay Area as a very big um, uh, geographic location. The um, the Northwest uh, is a lot of development in that activity as well. So that is Seattle. <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> Seattle area. I get choked up thinking about Seattle. <laughs> um, and then some, some interesting parts uh, of the country that, um, you know, that uh, are developing, and this by no means is a comprehensive list, but certainly see Denver. Um, there are some smaller plays in Boston. There are um, New York City hotbeds. Uh, Atlanta is a legitimate candidate that I would put in there um, with some, some great things the, the city and the state have done to attract that. Uh, and you know, not to um, 
close the door on international development. There's a, a boatload from um, Israel that we see, uh, and some some other uh, interesting you know countries that uh, we uh, we either work directly with or um, or through partners. India is another example. Uh, but you know, Israel jumps out as one of the, the hotbeds for ideas and capital and some cool stuff that's coming. Fascinating! Wow. Okay, Pete. Is it, go is ahead. it my turn yet, Dave? <laughs> you may you may now address the <laughs> the royalty. Right. Well, it, yeah, I, I wonder if you could talk just a little bit more, Brian. I'm, I'm really fascinated by a couple of things you said. First of all, too much choice is confusing for the consumer, uh, and and how that uh, it works with this message of kind of bring it on open access to this to this developer community that you want developing for these platforms. I mean, it, particularly when you look in, in contrast to what you're trying to do with, you know, the Android store and the Android app ecosystem where they're, they're you know, it's, it's very much kind of uh, automated process. Here are some programmatic guidelines that are, you know, when apps are welcomed into the store, but you can install them anywhere, et cetera. And the iTunes uh, app ecosystem, which is much more closed and competing with your own effort on your own network in your own company how do all those things work together how do you uh, how do you maintain that flame of openness and yet be sort of agile and responsive to customer needs and complaints and demands and interests yeah it's a it's a really insightful question and that is you know at the top of our minds and, and have been um, for several years now. Um, so I'll, I'll try and break that into a couple pieces. The, the simplicity versus choice is a, is a fundamental thing that we work on constantly. And, and I think um, they're, they're, the way I look at it is it's simplicity in the entrance and as much complexity and choice as the consumer wants to drive behind that. You know, Android uh, market's a, a good example. We partnered with them to provide that uh, you know, that entrance to the store. It's the icon, it launches it, um, and we have the, the agreements in place to deliver that on, on our devices. What a consumer does from there is the complexity they introduce and the choice that, that they introduce. So so just to be clear, uh, what, you, what you deliver for Android on Android devices on AT&T is, is providing access to the store as if it's another app on your in your platform. That's exactly right. Okay. And, and there are other, other cases, um, other platform operating systems <clears throat> where the, the simplicity isn't as clean cut, but we believe they're, they're, it's still a, um, a relatively easy entrance, so um, a gateway to the content. So pick another operating system that might have a, a Microsoft, you know, a Windows marketplace on it, as well as an AT&T app center. So now we've got two, two shopping choices with slightly different content, but still the simplicity of here's the, here's the door to the store. And then the, you know, beyond that is something that, um, you know, consumers can choose. So that's one part of the simplicity versus choice answer. In my opinion, <clears throat> there are plenty of smart people that would have other opinions. Another part of the simplicity versus choice, um, answer uh, I'm particularly proud of because it's a product that we've worked to deliver to consumers called AT&T music. So, there are many choices that users have today, how to stream music, how to purchase music, how to discover music, share music. So one way to do that is to cobble together the many different applications that um, provide what you think is um, to meet those needs. Another way to do that is what we've just recently launched on a limited number of handsets and are expanding through the rest of this year, which is it's all in one place. So we've combined what we've seen in the landscape with, with streaming radio, personalized radio with an unlimited number of channels, and uh, shopping for tracks with the, the thousands of catalogs, that um, the songs from catalogs, and, and the IDing services like matching lyrics or, or, um, or the IDing a song by holding the phone up to the radio. So it's bringing those services together in one app. So those are, I think, kind of two answers to the simplicity versus choice answer. Um, now, the openness one is related to that, I, I believe. <clears throat> And that, um, that's where I think we've, AT AT&T has done some, some very um, public strides toward uh, boosting developer communities. So hosting the kind of um, interaction with developers to allow them to bring their ideas and then the, the apps beta program to submit to kind of applications 
and then I, I think more um, more concretely, um, an apps for all program, which our CEO announced at the beginning of this year, which is um, literally expanding the the, uh, the choices for uh, well, putting less restriction around what what comes on to um, our network, uh, and specifically that's a, a brew mobile platform in addition to the the Java. So two different types of things we were predominantly away from brew mobile before and we publicly announced that we're in it to win it um, across the board now so that should be exciting news to developers that we are um, the doors are opening wider and um, and we want to partner with them for the, the best best solutions the um, <clears throat> the last piece of it around um, you know the iTunes or the Apple App Store and very similarly with Android or, or the other stores, you know, th they have their own set of um, content guidelines. So we honor those. Um, the the um, some some of them are more uh, open about the application submission process than others. But you know, our role there is enabling the um, the store as a choice, uh, and then you know the the uh, openness within those stores are kind of things that uh, that, that are best handled by by those providers. Um, did, did I hit the things that you were kind of interested in there? Yeah, yeah, I think you did. I mean, I, you know, I'm, you're hitting to one of the things that I think, you know, my impression is one of the biggest challenges for you, uh, if I can project a little bit and tell me how just how wrong I am, is, is you know, AT&T as a platform, as a wireless platform, and as a platform that's, that, that is really working so hard to, you know, stay ahead of the device technology curve, and yet your group within AT&T is, is working to stay, uh, you know, to stay ahead of and relevant in a space that is so dominated by the market discussion around, you know, app development and, and apps exclusive of, you know, a, a specific device. I mean, you know, I just don't, I, I don't hear as much, you know, I'm excited to hear about, you know, Brew Mobile and, and these kinds of announcements. I think you're right. I mean, the, the tools available for developers to, to get in and develop wonderful new things uh, that you can do on these devices are, are really powerful. How do you kind of mitigate this issue of, of staying relevant and competing against your own internal, uh, internal groups? It focuses on developing the gateway uh, to enable these dynamics to happen. So um, that is the, the um, streamline ingestion process, uh, the openness on some of the things we talked about. The you know, um, I, I think that the other piece of it is putting internal pressure on delivering solutions in the face of this. Um, I don't want to say chaos, but it's it's in the face of this momentum and, and dynamic environment. So those are the investments we make to um, deliver value, like an AT&T Music with, with a, a premier user experience and some of the, the choices behind that. Um, but you know, I, I, I certainly don't want to gloss over what you're saying, which is you know there are, there's a lot of competition. The the beneficiary of that competition is consumers. Absolutely, so we, we, we welcome it. Um, we're not always going to win it, but we're we're definitely going to continue to um, strive to do that. Well, you and know, unique, I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. I was going to say we're we're in a unique position um, to to deliver solutions that um, that, that other uh, solution providers can't, given the assets that that we have and the technologies that we've developed. So we're going to continue to capitalize on those, which again should should be a good thing for. Um, the, the three folks on this call who are going to buy some AT&T content after we get off. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug. Uh, how do you handle the the um, the transition of uh, or, or the constant evolution of pricing for particularly in the music platform? Uh, you know, and the and the you know what the ringtone platform, which for so many years was so uh, it's just so ridiculous how how out of uh, out of whack the the pricing is. You get this this. Um, this thought that that uh, you know develop, uh, that the the music licensors don't don't understand the marketplace that we're uh, that is evolving in front of them and and yet here's AT and T just trying to provide access grease the skids and get people buying content um, th there seemed to be such a disconnect for so long do you do you think that these uh, that uh, the publishers and licensors are starting to get it or are they still uh, they still in the dark. Yeah, so you've got uh, all the good questions. Um, I, I think that there, that there are some constraints that we work within. Um, you know, 
content does have some hard costs. So, you know, we, we try to work within the boundary of those to, to deliver, um, you know, the, the pricing structure that makes sense, is sustainable, will allow for um, investment going back into products and services and more artists and things like that. So we do work within those constraints. And then I think this, like other industries or examples that have seen this sort of thing, that the part of the effort needs to go into uh, value in a different way. So <clears throat> I think the ringtone case is analogous to others, um, but that's a, that's a case where perhaps more of a personalization effort can be um, shared with customers that if the, the, the price of an individual ringtone is, uh, you know, we're in a different place in the demand curve and less folks are trying that or there's more piracy, then there is value that a, an entity like, uh, like AT&T that we can provide. So that would be something like an application that personalizes ringtones or serves up tones in a different manner or a ring back tone that's network based that, um, you know, can't, you can't replicate um, and, and, and can't access in other manners. Um, so I think that's all to say it, it shifts the effort a little bit to where the, the ball's going, I hope. And if I can make some more metaphors, I'll try and do that. <laughs> well, um, you know, but... I, it's such a, that's, that Peter, is actually. Peter uses the puck analogy. I do, now. skate to where the puck will be. That's that's one I actually have tattooed on my chest. I'm very happy about that one. Well, I mean, I think the important thing to remember is that you a, a bird in the hand is worth <laughs> filling milk over a bucket. <laughs> I try to that. That's right. Uh, and, and all this discussion is is around uh, obviously this this whole new um, industry uh, and 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 probably part of the fuel of economic growth right now is around the smartphone app development. But do we ever feel bad for the the dumb phone and how lonely and neglected <laughs> it might be? I still have a dumb phone. That, what? That's still that's still money, isn't it? The dumb phone? <laughs> There's still a market yeah. there. I, I think so. It, you know, there are different answers, I guess, because you know you have it because it's doing something for you. So there's some value there, um, and there are, you're not alone, by the way. Tens of millions of other folks do as well. Um, now, the challenge around um, delivering premium content to those phones is one that I, I'm not sure there's a great answer to. So there are lighter versions of solutions being developed. But a large, a large amount of um, personalization content is brought down when the user first buys a phone. So many of these phones have been, you know, end of life or they're being updated or, or whatever. So the opportunity isn't quite as great. <clears throat> so I, you know, I guess the, the truth is there are light, light versions being delivered or being developed, but it's not a focus. So I wouldn't imagine. I just feel bad for the dumb phone sometimes. It's yeah, you kind of do feel bad for the dumb phone. Lonely. Phones. And the dumb phone owners I think, like me. I mean, there there's some fantastic opportunities if you walk into your local AT&T wireless store. We can hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Another another shameless well, plug. Hey, um, Brian, I want to I want to kind of round out the discussion here cuz I know we're kind of getting close to the end of our time. So, um, can you just finish up by kind of telling us what, you know, what are the little inklings of trends that you're seeing that you think are really going to um, catch fire over the next Sha year, did, two years. I was going to say to shape our, to shape our next three months. That's, that's seems to be about as far out as we can look when it comes to okay, this. Okay. We'll pick a time frame, and, you know, just, I mean, <laughs> three what, are months the, to what, one are year. The, what are the kind of inklings that you're seeing just, you know, that you're kind of starting to think, Hmm, we need to start paying attention to that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the comment about the timeline is dead on. Um, you know, we do have long-term long planning, um, but uh, re realistically, it's, it's much more short-term focused. So, you know, I think there, there are a couple things, geez, excuse me, a couple things ready to, um, you know, at a tipping point or catch fire or however you'd like to phrase that. I, I think mobile advertising is, is, um, has not yet been delivered in a meaningful way, um, but the investments are being made to do that. So, you know, that is, you know, hits on the pricing discussion as well, that, uh, you know, price or value could be extracted in a way besides the, the customer paying for it. Advertising is tolerated in, in many instances, and, and there are big bets being made that mobile is one of those. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think another 
another thing that we're certainly working on and um, and others will try or, or um, uh, will we'll partner with those who can are delivering uniform solutions across many um, instances or, or many screens or, or convergence so you know this is the the dream that it only exists today in cobbled together ways or highly expensive ways of playing the same game on your phone, PC, and TV, or listening to the same catalog on the same set of screens with a single sign-on. And, uh, and, and I, I think that that's, that's something that we're, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to get to um, because that, that really will be delivering some, some good value. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the, we, we hit on it in a couple different ways. It's just that what's coming is it's going to be more open. There's going to be a lot more choice and content. So an opportunity there, I think, is providing intelligent visibility to that content. Google definitely does that with the Internet. There are some great apps today that kind of steer you toward what your friends are buying rather than seeing a catalog of tens or hundreds of thousands of titles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's an opportunity there you know, to deliver more relevant content. Brian, uh, this th- this has been a a terrific discussion, and and thank you uh, so so much for uh, for joining us today and and sharing uh, sharing your wisdom and uh, and uh, you know thoughts on uh, on uh, you know all the great stuff happening in this economy. It's uh, it's really fascinating stuff. Well, cool. I mean, I appreciate the chance to talk to you. I mean, it's always great questions and uh, fun to think through. It's what I, what I do all the time. So thanks a lot, guys. Well, and where can uh, if people want to learn more about what's going on at AT&T Mobility, I, you know, the AT&T site is, is rather uh, vast. Is there a site you can point us to or where people can follow uh, what you're up to uh, where they can learn a little bit more? Well, I think, you know, there, there are a couple. The ATT.com backslash Media Mall. That's... Um, att.com backslash m-e-d-i-a-m-a-l-l is a web version of some of the content we've been talking about so that's that's the chance to see what what titles are hot what we're bending right now if, if you're a developer then i think a great place to start is att.com backslash sdk um, that's att.com backslash sdk mm-hmm. because that is the uh, the sort of entrance into what's coming and the latest information to to get started to bring you titles that uh, we can work together with you. But you know, those are two good places. Beautiful. Well, again, thank you so much for your time, uh, uh, Brian. This has been great. We really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank right, you, Brian. Good. Earlier this week, I think the reports came out about economic growth and and where it's happening, and um, and one of the biggest areas was. Um, manufacturing. So the Midwest and the South are kind of um, benefiting from some growth where some other areas are kind of stagnant still. But uh, but app development, you know, beyond, behind manufacturing, application development was um, one of the biggest reasons that technology is um, driving right now some of the the good economic growth that, that we're looking for through the next year or two. So, and I would imagine, I mean, it already seems like this enormous ecosystem is there but it's very interesting to stop and think about how recent it really is because it's it's pretty recent. It's very so, recent, yeah. yeah. Certainly it, in the last, you know, in the last 2 years really. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I'm actually sad we didn't get to talk to Brian. I wanted if we had another 15 minutes, I wanted him to talk about, you know, he talks so much about um having things being consumer driven and listening to the consumer. I'm really curious to know how they do that, you know, well at AT&T. Yeah. I mean, because they are this huge behemoth. Um you know, I'd be really interested in hearing. Yeah, you, I, I would too. And I think it, it relates to one of the big lessons that I, I took out of the conversation, which is, um, you know, when you are when you are dealing with enormous uh, market constraints and competition and the, the economy is changing as dra- dramatically as it is changing every single day, what you do is you look at your existing assets and learn how to innovate on them. And, and uh, you know, he made some comments about doing custom ringback tones and doing mm-hmm. things that you cannot do 
if you are a standalone app developer doing things that you can only do when you have right. access to the inside of the technology like like they do at AT&T. That's yeah. a fascinating lesson. I think that's one, you know, we can all kind of walk away with that that you know, look at your existing assets that others don't have and figure out how to leverage them rather than just go back to the drawing board and try to develop new products. That's that's one of those kind of t key tools. Absolutely. Do we do we want to take that uh, that train of thought there, Megan? The uh, consumer driven, data driven um, analysis and and go to tools. Sure. I totally have a tool. Let's I hear it. I know you do. Let's hear it. I have been I have been an absolute crack addict over this thing for the last two days, <laughs> and I I feel like so I'm late to, be to the a fly game. On the wall in Peter's office. No, it's it's bad. It's bad. So. <laughs> Uh, the, the tool is Woopra, W-O-O-P-R-A, uh, Woopra.com, and it is uh, seriously the most fun I've had looking at data it, that in, in uh, you know, years. It's, in uh, weeks, possibly. In, it, in, it is the most fun I've had <laughs> looking at data in the last 37 and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was on the I, I was on the I met uh, one of the folks at Woopra the WordPress developer conference uh, about six months ago and um, you know I it, it was a delightful experience I got in on the beta and I installed it on a couple of sites and frankly it just didn't kind of light me up you know I I, I didn't I didn't get it or you know it just didn't offer enough for me over analytics uh, Google Analytics on my sites that that I just uh, yeah it didn't take off for me so I shelved it and you know they they launched out of beta and now all their plans are you know they have played you know many different tiers of plans and I uh, I, I rediscovered Woopra and uh, it is fantastic. So what is Woopra? Woopra is a real-time analytics engine for your websites. What does that mean? That means that you can track uh, not just where your users have been on your website. You can track what they are doing on your website right now in real time. You can see who's on your site, what pages they're viewing, how long they're on the page, how they're navigating across the site, what platforms they're coming to you from, you know, size of the screen, all the data that you could possibly want, but you get it in real time right now. Uh, and, uh, and that is a, an incredibly powerful thing. It takes it to the point of being uh, almost um, too powerful in that, you know, I can I can click on a specific user and start a chat with them in real time. So I noticed I notice you're uh, reading that article there. Uh, what do you think of it? How, how you like have you gotten to the part about uh, when I talk about the uh, the, oh, the horse hair? And I mean, okay. that's that may be taken too far, but it's a fantastic tool for so, real time. So why is this so exciting to you? Because I mean, I, I, yeah. outside of the creepiness of it, I mean, how is it? Be, and if you're not going to chat people up, how is it? It's another so much more it's fantastic. another dimension because all you can all you can look at when you when you look at Google Analytics really and and there is a you you can you know change the date settings on analytics and sort of see what happened in the last couple of hours but but all you really see is what happened yesterday right all you get out of out of you know the the real value of analytics is historical uh, the value of uh, Woopra is is current. So I, if I have a rich editorial calendar and I see that users are reading a specific, uh, you know, a current post uh, less than they're reading some historical post, maybe there's a way I can get another page up in the next 30 minutes that talks about, you know, specific, uh, uh, you know, specific keyword rich, uh, you know, content that will keep people on my site throughout the day. You, and it, you'd have to you'd have to be bored, I think, to do that, wouldn't no, you? No, I don't think boredom is really the answer. <laughs> uh, I, I think if you have if you have a site that is content driven, that is that that's a site that exists to uh, you know earns revenue by uh, keeping people on your site, you owe it to yourself to know what they're doing on your site right now. Right? This sounds like this sounds like a great reason to hire an intern. Yes, the intern monitor. I think it is, and I, I, I could be the Woopra intern. I would just like to manage everybody's site. I just like all the graphs. Um, so I, I think that is a that's a powerful thing. If your site, this is not for everybody. It's certainly not for everybody, but it's certainly priced to be for everybody. It's free for up to thirty thousand page views in a month. So you know the vast majority of of you know small to medium size or small businesses really could get into Woopra without uh, without any. Um, 
uh, certainly any financial outlay, but uh, but even you, you get a little bit bigger sites, and it's you know four ninety five a month for the next tier. It's really really reasonable. It does give you the historical analytics too, so you get that kind of um, you get the historical view that you get from from Google Analytics. You also get the um, um, the live view. It also has a really fantastic, really fantastic. I, I say really too much, don't I? It has a fantastic uh, notification system, so you can set up this filter that says you know whenever somebody. Uh, mm. uh, you know, clicks on any of a li uh, the links or searches for something on my site related to X Y Z. It pops up a little. Bed. It pops up a little notice. It says you should you should see that people are, are there's interest trending on your site around this content. Maybe you want to look at that more closely in your editorial calendar. That sort of a thing. So here's my question. What is your question? Who, who is on the, who is on the Naked Marketers website right now? Yeah, I don't. What are they I, looking at? I am so sad to tell you that I don't have it installed on Naked Marketers. <gasps> yet. I know, right? I d I have it installed on five of my sites, but not yet. Go to fifthandmain.com. Right Just, now. Just yeah, go ahead and go there right now, and we'll do a little live test. Sweet. And you're going to check me up because that's going to create like Okay, I won't check you up. It is like Mythbusters. Right? Pray, pray this works. Pray, <laughs> pray this works. I'm there. What am I supposed to do now? Anything you want. You're on the homepage right now. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. Now where am I, Peter? Well, you're looking at you're looking at the the uh, the fabulous link uh, that KFC Double Down is not the most disgusting thing you could eat today. <sighs> it is really, close. That's kind of creepy. Not the most. And you are uh, well. See that. It is, and you're, you're, I have your IP address. You're coming from uh, Vancouver, Washington. Your cable company's Comcast. Uh, you're now at the blog, and uh, you're wearing? using Safari Four. <laughs> yeah. What's her sign? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny. It's, it is remarkable. It is remarkable, and it's a little stalker esque. A little bit, and I, you know, and sometimes the this the chat doesn't work. Did you get a little chat message? No. Oh, and it's, I, I was testing it out. I, it, it has worked a couple of times. I haven't really figured out why it doesn't work when it doesn't work. But anyway, the, the real trick is it's a fantastic tool. You can tag specific, specific users. So I can like, you know, I say that you're, you're Megan and rename you from visitor 383,000 to you're Megan. And every time Megan hits my site, I can have an alert come up. That says Megan is on your site again. Boy, she's really has nothing to do because you, you, she keeps going back you, to my site. You know who I think this would be like the most useful for this like real time data, and and who I would imagine would be the most addicted to this would be um, celebrities like Tia Tequila and the Kardashians, <laughs> who who maybe just don't even really have to leave their house, and I, I guess Tia Tequila right. doesn't much. And she could look at all of her fans and what they think is interesting about her. Because if you've got like an inflated sense of self, this would be really, really fascinating for you. What are you saying about me? No, nothing. I'm just. Whatever. I'm just saying. Whatever. Whatever. I'm just saying. If you're all I'm saying you is, better do, you'd get really interested <laughs> in how people are searching you on your site. But also, Pete, here I have a question for you because this is what I um, this is what I think is is going on. Sort of, I don't know if anybody's ever considered um, uh, Omniture. Has anyone looked hard at Omniture? Not anybody hard. <laughs> I did once. Um, how was that? When I, how when how I, was it? Oh man, I was drooling. I had the, a presentation from uh, Omniture uh, sales rep, and and I worked for a company that we were considering adopting uh, Site Catalyst, and like. This was a couple of years ago, and the amount of information I, I really was just salivating. Like, oh my gosh, you know, heat maps and and um, <laughs> you know, form like how far are people getting on your form before they drop out, and you know, all the all these little bits of data and, and the way it was presented, you know, different graphic uh, r representations. But the price of entry still uh, is um, pretty heavy for Omniture uh, for Site Catalyst. Back mm -hmm. then, I think it was ten grand plus a bunch of money for training and stuff like that. Depends on the size of your business, the amount of traffic you're getting. You know, they have a sliding scale for what it costs to use it, but it's not cheap. Um, uh, but since then, uh, not only, of course, has Google Analytics gotten more advanced and, and added more features, but but um, you have these sort of breakouts. Whether it's and Woopra is not the well, Woopra is a different example of this. I mean, it's just the you're getting more data and you're getting different looks at the data and you're getting you know real time versus historical, uh, but some others like Crazy Egg and Clicktail are 
when you add them together, you can kind of come up with a less expensive way to get um, a whole Absolutely. bunch of really cool things. Yeah, you can take all these different looks without jumping in at ten grand or whatever it's going to cost to get Sight Catalyst. And it's still, a, you know, the best, uh, I think, uh, out there if you can afford it. But if you can't, you can take these little slices uh, and, and take kind of a lower-cost approach by using multiple programs or multiple solutions. Yeah, and I think that's that really is the big lesson, right? I mean, it's this idea that, you know, you don't— you, you have a lot of control and you can get a lot of data for free or very cheap. And, and I think it, you know, we get, it's easy as, you know, when you, you have a business, you want it to be, you know, you want to be professional, you want to exude professionalism. And, and yet, you know, how can you do that and make the most effect of your, of every single dollar? You know, it seems to be, why would you spend money when you can get something for free uh, and put that money toward really, you know, spreading the word, you know, buying more campaign, you know, so interesting. Uh, that's the uh, that's the tool. I am strongly recommended. I want to try and see if we can get uh, get somebody from Wooper to join us on the show and talk about this this move to real time analytics. It's so great, so fun. That's it. Good show. Thanks. You, thank you guys for joining us, uh, Dane Christensen. Where can people find you uh, on the? Where is your uh, internet ghost town, Dane? Um, <laughs> Second Life. I have an avatar. I'm a female. It's just it's the way I get to explore my feminine side. Um, so you'll find me downstairs. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I've never been on Second Life. That'd be fun, though. I'm on Altadane on Twitter. Uh, my website is strike10media.com. And Megan Strand? I am at Megan Strand on Twitter and encouraged.com with an I encouraged.com is my website and blog. Indeed. And I am Pete Wright on Twitter and uh, fifthandmain.com is my site. You can find out more about the show at thenakedmarketers.com. Please uh, stop by if you want to follow us on Twitter, Naked Markets, and uh, uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, after last week, you guys are doing a great job. We got a nice little jump this week in iTunes subscribers, which, is, which is really great. Thank you so much. And, uh, and please continue to subscribe and... Um, and enjoy the show. If there's anything you'd like to know or recommendations of tools we should look at, please uh, drop us a line and on the website, and uh, we'll do it. Uh, on behalf of Dane and Megan, I'm Pete, and join us next week for another episode of The Naked Marketers. <laughs>